Morning, everybody. So um, I thought I'll do this podcast before I forget about it, <laughs> forget what the topic is. And it actually would probably make a really good YouTube video. Um, but I am still in bed. It's only half past, well, it's five to seven in the morning. Um, and I won't expose any of you to that. Um, so the two switches that need to be uh, flicked, shall we say, to get you away from your abuser, your narcissist, and to get you to stay away because there is two stages to departing uh, a relationship of narcissistic abuse or any other type of abuse. But obviously what I talk about is narcissistic abuse. There's two stages um, and I've just kind of unpacked that answering a question on Cora. And I thought, yeah, that's actually, it's common sense and it could really help people to understand that it's not just about leaving. There's like, there's like stages to it and how to explain those stages and sort of compartmentalise them for people so that they they can start working on them themselves if they're still in a narcissistically abusive situation or if they've recently left and they're just a bit stuck and they can't work out how to maintain no contact. So for me, the, the, the first switch was like a sort of rock bottom. I did a YouTube video on it called um, The Straw That Broke The Camel's Back. There is a point in every abusive co- context where a victim will hit a rock bottom point and there are unfortunately a few people that for them it just isn't even though it's rock bottom it's the worst it can get they've probably become so mentally ill and trapped in a relationship that there is no way out for them but many 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 of us there is ways out and an awful lot of people say I can't stop this I can't end this and I'm I'm like well you don't live together you don't have kids and you don't work together so yes you can um, and I'm seen as a bit of a militant that way and a bit um, as as um, unempathetic. But it's actually the opposite. I'm trying to empower people to think outside their self-pity, which we're allowed to feel, and their loss and their grief um, and their fear and dig, dig, dig down to that bit that we're an individual human being put on this planet to do good shit. We're not put here to be abused by fucking narcissists. But when you're in a relationship with an abuser like a narcissist, we, we reframe our thinking and we actually build a life around us as a victim. We reinforce the victimhood ourselves without realising it. With the codependency and the fawning and the having sex when we don't want to have sex and the putting up with the bullying when we know it's bullying. We, we know we're being abused, but yet we stay. And we start trying to adapt to the abusive situation to avoid staying. And even when we know we're being abused, that's a dangerous, dangerous point in a relationship. Um, and I get quite frustrated with people that say, my narcissist and I went here or we did that. And I'm like, why are you calling someone a narcissist and you're still in a relationship? Uh, because that's quite a unique situation. The vast majority of us don't know what this monster is. We don't know what the fuck gaslighting is, triangulation is, and we don't know why they're doing it. Once you've decided to call your partner a narcissist and you continue being with them, you're almost past the point of return because you're accepting it. You're saying it's okay that he or she is going to continue to cheat. It's okay that he or she is going to continue to play me off against people and gaslight me and verbally abuse me and devalue me. It's okay that they're never going to change and they can't change. That's a dangerous time. That's not rock bottom. That's almost the opposite of rock bottom because you've decided to stay in a relationship that is abusive. 
you've made a conscious decision. The rest of us, um, we're subconsciously there because we still live in toxic hope and we think they're going to change and we think things are going to get better. Um, we're there for the right reasons, if that makes sense. We're there because, because we're going to try and make it work. We're going to try and fix them. Things are going to get better. It's going to get better. These are quite normal feelings. But if you're in a relationship thinking, I'm okay to put up with the abuse. I'm okay to put up with the infidelity. I don't mind that just two weeks ago he was pumping this lassie rotten. I don't mind that last month she was engaged to somebody else. Once you, you're having these thought processes and you're, you're now starting to compartmentalize the abuse and put it in boxes where you're prepared to put up with it, put up and cope with it and rationalize it, you are in. You're. You potentially are past the point of return, and you can end up being as toxic as a narcissist. You've chosen abuse. You've chosen it, and it's time to grow up. But rock bottom is when we're still in the phase of thinking things could get better, and they think they're going to get better. But something happens. The narcissist does something to us, where we almost. Well, we do. I did. You dissociate, and you think. Could you actually have that conscious thought? I don't think it's been as bad as this. I never, ever, ever thought I would end up like this. And um, and I think I'm done now. So you you actually have these thoughts and these feelings. And that's just an important place to be as a victim of abuse. This is important. You need to hold on to that. As frightening as it is and dark as it is and scary as it is to be sitting there thinking, oh my God, right, shit. And it's just hit you like a runaway train or a ton of bricks or whatever bloody metaphors you want to use. That This isn't going to get better and this is the worst it's ever been. You need to hold on to that because that's powerful shit. That rock bottom, whatever they've done, um, is your springboard now. So think about it. You hit the deck. This is your springboard now to go, okay, I'm leaving. So that's stage one. So think about what your rock bottom is. My my rock bottom with narcissist number two, believe it or not, was not um was not that horrific weekend in September 2015 where he was arrested and what have you. Um and all the cheating and all that. But if you if you, people want a bit more information, but along with learning points and study sections, please do buy Dangerous Normal People. Um, it's a, it goes into a lot of detail about Casanova psychopaths and inverted narcissists and the sort of triangulation between the three of us and the, the, the 112 different types of abuse and terms and things like that. So um, it actually wasn't that horrific weekend where my complex PTSD sort of germinated um, in 2015. It was after that. Um, that weekend should have been rock bottom. And actually, it almost was. I'd kind of made the choice to not go back, but I hadn't yet experienced his intense hoovering. Prior to the weekend in September 2015, I'd always been a reverse hooverer. My codependency, my fawning, my fear of abandonment, all these different things that I had thanks to my ridiculously awful parenting that my parents just, they just didn't have it. Um... I was always the chaser. Um, and so I'd never experienced him begging and crying out of nowhere, right? I'd made the choice. So I wasn't awake to it. I wasn't ready for it. I hadn't prepared for it. So he caught me almost at a vulnerable time when he did phone me up on the, the night after the court, after he was convicted and he was given a six-month good behaviour order, um, which now I, oh, pennies drop which now 
we broke that order actually within what's that yeah so we did oh lucy you're thick yeah he broke the order quite a few times while we were still in the relationship i could have had him absolutely i could have had him in the jail that's just hit me and and i oh lucy Ah, oh, he was on a good behaviour order for six months and he um, proceeded to abuse me and um, did assault me again another couple of times. Um, and there were other like verbal domestics a couple of times after that. I, I, why didn't I phone the police on him? I don't know. Well, we all know why, trauma one. But anyway, um, so it wasn't that September weekend. And so I wasn't ready for the right, let's say, I know something really bad happened this weekend. I don't really remember a lot of it. <laughs> um, street Valium um, and excuses. <laughs> um, you know, I love you. I'm going to change. Going to do anything. I hadn't had that before, so he bombarded me with proper old school hoovering that I hadn't had to instigate. I hadn't had to do, and so he just—that was it. My boundary was fucked, right? Um, so I took him back, or we got back together, or whatever. Um, and of course, I taught him. I taught him then that I was going to be put. I was going to put up with anything. Because that September weekend, he did everything that he could have done to me. So I gave him a, a big tick and I said, I basically said, I on you go, carry on. And he did. Um, but the, he did something that he'd never done before, which was my rock bottom, which was in the sort of February time. So not long. So October, November, December, three, four months later, um, within the good behaviour bond, which I just only just realised was duh, um, he... Um, he put me at physical risk, overt physical risk, at the hands of him and his friends. This ha hadn't happened before. Oh, the dog just farted. It's good timing there while we're talking about JK, isn't it? Um, stinking the room up, just even talking about him. Um, he'd not he, he'd not done that before, but this is what's what happened with narcissists. They they do escalate, but it isn't always escalation of the same abuse. They're going to chuck in new shit because they need that, right? Um, and they have a lot in their arsenal. They have a lot in their toolkit. There's, a narcissist will do anything to hurt you and test you and punish you. Um, so don't ever just expect you're just going to be getting gaslighting and cheating and strangling. Oh, no, there's going to be something new coming. You know, every now and again, something totally new will come. Trust me. Um, and you you won't see it coming, which makes it dangerous. And I didn't see this coming. Um, well, I felt I felt this was a bad idea. So he decided to invite his friends. With, I can't remember if it was his cousin or his friend, but it's called Danny or Daniel. Um, and his absolutely skanky fucking fiance. And I find that really weird. See, if you're engaged to somebody for 20 years, it's just, it's just weird. Anyway, they'd been engaged for years and years and years, blah, blah, blah. Um, and um, he'd invited these two people over. I got the vibe she didn't like me, but, you know... Not gonna say it, but I'd like to say it. Um, I got the vibe that she didn't like me, and I just was like, it was like eleven o'clock at night. We'd had a chinkinese, and there were two my two kids, older kids now, but obviously at the time they were, I think they were like something like eight and twelve or eight and ten or something like that. We kids were sleeping over, um, and I just said to him, it just came out of the blue. He said, "I want uh, Danny and whatever her name to come over," and I looked at him and I thought. He just had that look of demonic mischief. I was tired, we'd eaten. I was sober as a judge. Uh, I just, it just was like, no, 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 please no. And of course he did. Yada, 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 because it's in dangerous normal people, the full story. But basically, things escalated to the point at which him and these two were sitting in the kitchen. I was in the living room and I could hear him winding them up, slagging me off. I'd never had this before. 
I never had verbal devaluation of JK, not until the end, not until post-separation. It was always very uh, covert devaluation and uh, I never really had, she's this, she's that, you know, not really. So he's doing all that, winding them up. They were on something um, and they were smoking weed as well and they were drinking and they were excited. Everybody was, there was this horrible Lord of the Flies vibe and I just, I sat in the living room in the other room and I was like, I'm at risk. I just knew I was at risk, but I was kind of trapped there. Um, I knew by leaving would trigger a rage and then a discard, which were my biggest fear through the relationship. I didn't want to wake the kids up, stress the kids out. I didn't know that if me doing something would trigger something. Um, I just, I felt kind of frozen in this really dangerous situation. I could hear them getting louder, slagging me off more. And then there was this sort of shift as though a decision had been made. And the female walked in the living room and, no, that's a lie. I felt the shift and I thought, right, I just got myself up off the sofa. I thought, I'm just going to go and get the kids and just creep out. I, this is bad, 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 bad. Went into the kids' room, which was actually his room, and started, just went to wake them up. And the, the female came in the bedroom in the dark behind me and she went, she was like, what the fuck are you doing? She was like, don't ruin the party and all this kind of stuff. And I just said, look, I said, I think it's a bit late. I tried to kind of calm it down. So I think it's a bit late. I'm just going to take the kids um, home or something like that. Anyway, she, I can't remember how, but we ended up both back in the living room. I can't remember if I'd just given up or I felt, I don't know. And I went back in the living room and I sat down. She stood over me. Something was said that I was a snobby bitch, something like that. It's always, isn't it always right working class scum who can barely read or write? who take drugs, scream, shout, rant, rave, barely wash, that speak to women like me. And there are millions of women like me who have just a bit of class and they call us snobby scum. We're not snobs. We've just got a bit of class, love. Um, she called me something like that and fucking just, boom, slapped me. But it was like a big fucking, big monkey's wide hand. Um, and I took it and I just sat there and looked at her. I didn't cry, I didn't scream, I didn't reach for her. I just took it and she got a wee fright there. I think she thought, oh, that's not what I expected. But I've been assaulted, attacked, raped, sexually abused, been in physical fights my whole life. A big fishy hand slap off some skank from Paisley is not going to rattle me. Um, and everything went quiet in the kitchen. Uh JK didn't come and help me, didn't come and see me. I thought, right, okay, right to hear more. This is more, I'm and I'm drifting towards rock bottom here because I'm thinking, okay, this is all new and I don't like this. This is, ooh, okay. And she fucked off back in the kitchen and they were all high-fiving each other and laughing and I sat there quiet and I thought, mm, something came over me. There's something inside me. I was thinking about this yesterday. I've got, and I'd like to bottle it and give it to every single narcissistic abuse victim. There's something in me that has, I don't know whether it's, it's narcissism or rage or being a lifelong abuse victim, but there's a wee thing in me, a wee monster in me. And that wee monster has helped me through a lot of my life. That wee monster, she or he or whatever it is, it's, it's, it's whatever gender, um, has always just stepped in at just the right moment for me and protected me. Now, it usually does something really fucking scary, right? 
or it makes me behave really scary, but it's fucking saved me. And this wee monster just went, Voop. and I thought, fuck you, mate. I thought, you fucking cunt. I'm going to fucking get you. I didn't get my kids and leave. I didn't cry. I didn't wail. I didn't go in the living room and beg JK to be a man and be a decent person. My wee monster came in. I don't know if it's dissociation. I don't know if it's a kind of multiple personality disorder thing, but I love it. I love my wee monster. Um, it's done some bad things in my life, but the alternative to the bad thing was possibly me killing myself on quite a few occasions. So I'd rather do a bad thing to somebody else and top myself. Sorry, <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> I've got three kids, three dogs in the future. Um, it's a wee selfish wee monster. It's a, it's a handy wee thing. Um, and I fucking I stood behind the door um, between the living room and the kitchen in a shitey wee council flat. And... Um, I waited on her. I knew she was. I knew my instincts. I'm a wee bit psychic anyway. My instincts kicked in. I thought she's not happy with my res that result. She's not happy. I'm not crying. I'm not screaming. I'm not wailing. She's not got what she wanted, so she's going to come back for more, right? I have a natural understanding of abusers. I know how they think. Bang on as usual. So she starts. I heard the chair go, and I thought, here she comes. And I stood behind the door. She passes the door, and I just fucking. Go, 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 gadget arm. <laughs> Reached out and got a hold of this cunt's ponytail. And I hooked my fingers underneath it. And I'm telling you, this lassie must have been 13, 14 stone. And I've always been around about eight. And she hit the deck like a cucumber falling out of fridge. <laughs> right. And I had her on the ground and I dragged her the full length of the living room up onto a lazy boy. And I had her between my legs and I fucking pulled that hair. I pulled it and I pulled her head right up and right up between my legs and she's screaming and she's yelling. She's going, get off, get off, get off, get off, get off. I'm not saying a fucking word. I have got strength, well, especially in my legs, that people are often surprised by. <laughs> and I fucking squeezed my knees round her neck and I fucking pulled that hair and I pulled and pulled and pulled. And it took ages for the two, well, it felt like ages for the two lads to come through. And I just, I whispered in her ear, I said, don't you fucking, something like, don't you fucking speak to me like that again, because this fucking snobby cow's going to fucking kill you. I just went all Glasgow and fucking whispered that in her ear, and she went quiet. And and then them two came in, and they had to pull, they, two men, grown men, he was about 16 stone, JK, the other one's a fucking streak of pish, but they had to pull her from me. And I just sat up and I said, I'm not having this, get them out. I was a completely different person. And I've been that person before since, and that person has kicked fucking ass, right? When I am at a point where I feel in actual proper danger, I will fucking come for you. I have never lost a fight, and people far scarier than me with fucking major skills beyond what I've got, I've fell down my back, back, back down my stairs and lost hair and lost teeth. There's something in me. There's a little monster and I will bring that. And she's fantastic, that wee monster. I will bring that. If I'm going to protect myself and I'm going to protect my kids, I will do anything and I'll win. So that was my rock bottom because I didn't want to be like that. I gave myself a fright. I hadn't been in a physical fight since I was about 12 fucking years old and I won that one as well, by the way. Mar Marion McLean got a right doing. Um, so... It's rock bottom for me. I don't want to be some scrappy cow in some skanky flat with druggies and alkies and all that. It was just not me. My kids were right there next door. Like, 
they say they don't remember it. They say they never woke up. And do you know what? They still sleep like that, my boys. So I don't think they did. They were still sleeping when I went in and got them an hour later because we did leave in the end. Um, he chucked them out. They left. And I went and got my kids and went home. That's the first time I had ever left JK. I had ever physically walked out of his property, putting in my mind, my toxic mind, that the relationship at risk. I was gone. I was leaving. He hoovered me again. This was the second time he'd hoovered me. And I went back again. But I went back a different woman. I went back with a mindset of I'm leaving now, but I'm going to do this slowly my way. So I'd hit my rock bottom. Right, so next bit. So what you need to, to think about now is maintaining the no contact. I talk about the no contact lifestyle. So I did eventually leave, yada, yada. There has to be another rock bottom for there to be the no contact lifestyle to really work. So this is going to happen in the post-separation abuse. This is going to happen in the smear campaign. This is going to happen after you've done the discard, the final discard, which I did do a couple of months later successfully. But it was maintaining it then. So that's the next stage of the process of leaving a narcissist and an abuser. So there has to be a stage then in the process, in the no contact process where you're abuser, because 99.9% .9 of narcissists will conduct a smear campaign, covert or overt uh, post-separation abuse, they'll do all sorts to you and it'll be bad shit. A lot of abusers will escalate and be worse abusers after you've left them because they're they're losing control and they panic um, and so on and so forth. Um, and they've probably got the support of a new supply and all that kind of stuff. So you have to find, I'm not going to talk about my one because I've talked about it and I've written it in Dangerous Normal People and it's very triggering because it was a sexual offence that he did to me. Um but you've got to find that other rock bottom. So see if you're struggling with your no contact just now and you're thinking, what has he or she done since I've discarded them? That is beyond the pale, that was unexpected, that is really scary, really dangerous and has made me be a different person, a person I don't want to be. That's your, that's your, that you need to find that because that you need to fixate on that because that will help you maintain no contact. Okay, so you need these two events, these two particular events, pre-discard, post-discard to help you uh, understand that your narcissist is only going to get worse. They're never going to change their evil and uh, for you to break the cycle of abuse and maintain no contact. So try and find those two events. Thank you for listening. Please go to my YouTube channel and subscribe. My books are written under L.W. Hawksby. I have three out and hopefully, fingers the year is fast disappearing. I would like to get no contact, no narc out. I don't think that's going to happen. It might do. It's got more chance of getting no contact, no narc. The 30 tips to uh, maintain the no contact lifestyle book. Chances of getting that out are actually higher and getting out my, my fourth book and third novel, Pretty Girls Gone, because that needs to go through a publishing process. So I don't know. I'd love to have them both out, but I've got moon view to focus on and I'm also doing my psychology study and it does cost me money to publish, so I don't know. Anyway, thanks for listening.